This episode is sponsored by Code Chrysalis, Tokyo's number one coding bootcamp. See what a Code Chrysalis education can do for your future. Change your life and learn how to code. So uh, starting today, September 1st, Japan will loosen their entry restrictions into the country, allowing all its foreign residents with a legal resident status to travel in and out of the country. However, uh, there will be some conditions, uh, which includes a PCR test upon entry and a 14-day quarantine period. This also applies to Japanese nationals returning from abroad. Many uh, foreigners were left in limbo for months, uh, stuck outside the country due to the COVID-19 travel ban that went into effect on April 3rd. Others uh, were stuck in Japan because it meant they probably wouldn't be let back into the country if they left, except for a few exceptions. And uh, exceptional treatment was not guaranteed, of course. So it was a risk. On August 5th, uh, students working visa holders, and people with family stay visas who had left before the travel ban were granted permission to return. Of course, under the condition that you provided a negative PCR test. But the one clear distinction in all of this was only Japanese citizens were guaranteed re-entry. Uh, this decision was widely criticized by many people who thought it was uh, discriminatory by not including people such as foreign permanent residents. So depending on when and why you left the country, your current residency status, and what country you were trying to return to Japan from, it left you in quite a bind. Uh, foreigners in Japan or foreigners stuck in Japan were unable to travel home for weddings, graduations, funerals, and other personal reasons. And so I was able to talk to several people about their experiences with Japan's travel ban uh, via phone call, which I recorded. Sybil Kane is a mom, wife, and corporate lawyer from Pennsylvania uh, who has resided in Japan since 2008. I actually had just started a new job on February 14th and my daughter was in school as usual. And we got um, an announcement from school saying that school was closed. So I think that came on a Thursday, the 26th of February. And um, I work for a Japanese law firm, a, a boutique law firm. and. One of my colleagues thought it was very unlikely they would go remote because that just isn't the Japanese way. But later that day, we got an announcement from the founding partner that we were indeed 100% remote. So once work was remote and my and my daughter's school was remote, um, I decided 
well, if we're not going to be physically going into our places here in Tokyo, I would rather be home. Um, I own a home in rural Pennsylvania next to my mother, and she lives on her own. And I, at first, honestly, it was just a nice opportunity to spend some extra time at home. So that was pretty much the full motivation. We were heading into spring break, and I had assumed we would return to Japan after spring break. So we first got the information that they were going to start the travel ban、um, on April 3rd. And we sort of scrambled and got seats on the last flight out nonstop Newark to Narita, which is what we usually do by United. We had seats on that flight. And at the time we booked them, there were over 200 open seats. So I felt pretty good about that. As the days approached, you know, to April 2nd, United canceled their DC to Narita service, combined it with their Newark to Narita service. And of course, everyone knew it was the last flight out. And the flight became packed. I think there were only seven available seats. And we were flying standby. So we're about two, two and a half hours away from Newark. So, if we weren't going to get seats already, that's slightly dicey because the person who dropped you off kind of has to circle the New York metro area to find out if they need to pick you back up. And also, we had, even though we didn't have to, we quarantined when we came to Pennsylvania, quarantined for 14 days in February, early March. And we had been very careful about going out. I only grocery shop maximum once a week, usually just fortnightly. And my daughter had gone nowhere. So at that point, it seemed really unwise to get on a packed flight for 13 hours, leaving from the then US epicenter、yes. of the COVID, COVID pandemic. So we, I just had this moment sitting there on my sofa, and I thought,、yeah, we're not going to do this. <laughs> no, <laughs>、yeah. you know, I, I just made this decision. And it was a little bit shocking, even to me, because in that moment, I didn't know what the structure or possibilities for return would be. So I just made this call. My bags were packed and sat in the living room. And I just decided, okay, we're not going to go. And there we were. <laughs> okay. So you decided that you, you weren't going to go. That's right. We weren't, I decided it was, it was just too much of a risk to everything we had done to keep ourselves fairly isolated. Yes. To, to go ahead and take a chance, A, on getting seats on a very full flight, but B, even if we got seats,、um, it was such a full flight. It's 13 hours and it was leaving from the New York metropolitan area. In you know, early April, which was not a good scene, yes, at that time, yeah. So it, it seemed like it would have it seemed like that decision would have been the decision to maximize our exposure, exactly. Yeah, and I also、uh, spoke to Christopher Key.、Uh, Christopher is a dad, husband, and engineer who has been living in Japan for more than 20 years.、Uh, Christopher has permanent residency status. And he travels quite often to Europe throughout the year for business. 
the reason I, I left Japan is basically I do a lot of traveling with my job. I tend to work overseas quite a, quite a lot. So basically, I, I had a business trip that started last year. So I left in September to go to Europe to do some work in Europe and came back for Christmas and New Year's holiday. And then I left again in January due to come back in, at the beginning of April. Mm. Uh, and that's where my problem started. So basically, <laughs> it was supposed to be a, a three-month business trip uh, turned into a lot longer business trip. Yes. And now, so uh, I guess the key thing, or, or I guess the good thing for you was you left prior to the uh, travel ban, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, in that case, I was very, very lucky. But at first, I didn't realize all of this. It took um, quite a lot of time and energy. On I'm very lucky. My company looked after me very well. Um, and they contacted the Japanese government directly and checked everything for me to make sure that I could come back. Okay. Um, so that was one thing that really did help me out was the support of my company. I, I should say my company is a Japanese company and I've been with them a long time. So okay. they do support. Me. I, I think everybody was in the same boat, but trying to understand the announcements from the Japanese government and what's going on was really tough and trying to be sure of what they're saying. We, we Every time they made a new announcement, basically, the company was calling up the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and checking with them. So we were checking every stage of the way. So basically, for my re-entry into Japan, I didn't experience any big issues apart from trying to understand all the information that the Japanese government was putting out on a weekly, daily basis kind of thing. It was very, very confusing. and trying to understand it, whether it had any effect on me or not, uh, that sort of thing. So I think for everybody it's the same. Really trying to understand what the government is saying is extremely difficult. Yes, it is. shouldn't be that way, but uh, yeah, unfortunately it is. Um, uh, I think they need to keep it a lot simpler. It, it's causing a lot of headaches for a lot of people because we just don't know what's supposed to be done. And if you haven't got somebody who can talk to the government for example then it is very difficult hmm. now on your way back um talk a little bit about the uh i guess the pcr test um oh, i think i'm saying okay it right. let me start at the start of my journey okay um I, I was in europe i had to take a flight internally in europe to get to frankfurt in germany and then i'm flying from frankfurt back to canada in japan mm -hmm. um the first thing was they wouldn't let me check in. You're not allowed to go back to Japan, even if you have permanent residence status, which is what they stated to me. And I said, no, I left before the, the, the 2nd of April when the ban came into place. Yes. And I have special circumstances, so I'm allowed. But that's not written on our computer. You're not allowed. Oh, wow. So they had to call a supervisor over, and the supervisor was saying the same thing. I said, no, I know. But if you check on the Ministry of Foreign Affairs homepage, it states very clearly there that anybody that left before the 2nd of April hmm. uh, can, can go back. And they weren't convinced, so they had to call Lufthansa because I was flying with Lufthansa and then ANA. Mm -hmm. And basically Lufthansa agreed to let 
let me fly to Frankfurt. And they did some more checks whilst I was flying to Frankfurt. And then they called me to the gate in Frankfurt and did the final checks there before letting me on the plane. But to be honest, they, they really didn't understand it that well either. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. I, I think the biggest concern for anybody coming to Japan at the moment is the check-in because they're not Japanese people doing the check-in. They may not understand all the rules because yes. it is very, very complex and it's getting worse. It's getting more complex even now with uh, various different rules coming into place. Mm. And uh, you can get quite um, a lot of questions at check-in. You may not be allowed to check in if you're not careful. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So, my biggest piece of advice there was to um, be prepared, have the documents ready, have the home page from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to show what's relevant to you, this sort of thing, so that you can prove your case. And then it should be a lot smoother. But it's it's the, the difficult part, I think, is the check-in. So we have to quarantine for 14 days before she could go back to school. So I backed 14 days, 15 days back from the first day of school, and I booked um, booked a flight back on August 9th. So that would allow us to arrive, quarantine, and she would be ready for the first day of school should school start in person. Okay, She's entering... Yeah, she's entering middle school this year, and I didn't want to deprive her of the opportunity to do that and to do the orientation and whatnot in person. Um, if we had gone remote, I would have preferred to stay in Pennsylvania, but they hadn't announced, and so I just booked so that we were there in time. However, as you know... Between the time I booked the flight and the time we would have left, these new um, new rules came into effect, the rules that would take effect on August 5th. Yes. Uh, and I think you've been following along the online discussion. I'm fairly certain that those rules did not apply to us because we left prior to the right? Yes. So we were always, going, we were always able to come back in because we were pre-banned leavers, right? Yes. Um, and all we had to do was my husband went to the ward office and he got a certificate, a certificate for all homes or something, I think. I can send you the terms. Uh, he got that, shows that we lived there, we had our residence cards, we had our, you know, our visas, our passports, that's all we needed. But then these new rules came down and even though I think they were not applicable to us there was so much confusion among the various consulates and embassies we just decided to push it up to land prior to august 5th and that was really a shame but there it was so okay all right so when when you had to present these uh documents who did you present them to well i first started to, to discuss the situation with the consulate in new york and i did that the day after they were announced and they were quite confused, and, and I could tell they were confused. They were even asking me to send them links to the MOFA website um, and the MOJ website 
So, you know, I think it was, if I have a criticism of Japan, I think it was really unwise to put those rules into effect before their global consulate understood and had a coordinated response. Yes. So as you can see, we're um, a full week out from the implementation of those rules. And still people are getting very different answers from consulates around the world. So, you know, I think that was very unfortunate. And that was the reason that I decided to sort of panic book on the third so that I could land on the fourth, because I just felt there was such uncertainty. And I would have loved to keep my original departure date of the ninth, but there was such uncertainty and I didn't, I didn't want to get turned away. Yeah, I, I think I've I've been following the group, so I think I, I read about that. And just the uh, I guess the miscommunication between, like you said, consulates around the world. Yeah, there was just too much uncertainty. That there was no clear protocol, and there were no clear answers. As you can see, some consulates are saying you must have a PCR test seventy two hours prior to departure. Okay. Others are saying prior to landing. You know, so it's very difficult and. And I will say, um, especially leaving from the U.S., the requirement to have a negative PCR within 72 hours of departure okay. is almost impossible to get. So when I spoke to the consulate general in New York, the woman I spoke to indicated that the consulate themselves had called around and were unable to find in the New York metropolitan area a place that would give you a 72-hour response for an asymptomatic person whose needs were travel. Yeah, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, it's a quick turnaround and they're not going to dedicate those resources to travelers. And you know, I don't even think that that's inappropriate. I think that's that's probably reasonable. Yes, it is. So so for me the real frustration was those new rules sort of amounted to a complete ban on travel. Mm. If you're coming from an area where testing is not available, rapid testing is not available for asymptomatic um, people. So I could have gotten a test in my local area with a 10 to 14 day turnaround with results. And speaking to those clinics, they said, well, you know, it might come earlier. Mm. But what are you going to do? If you need if you need a 72 hour timestamp, what's your choice to go to go in every day, 14 days out? You know, sort of hope you know, sort of one of those hits and, and continue to pay for those and not and not even just pay, but to utilize those resources exactly. for travel and not that this is frivolous travel. You know, we're not on vacation. We are reuniting as a family and my child is going back to school in person on August 25th. So it, it was more necessary than not. However, it's just, it's not an appropriate use of resources. And I felt that it was a disingenuous message from Japan. Oh, we're going to let in more people. But what they actually did was close the doors to some people like myself who could have gotten in prior to the August 15th. You're right. You're right. Because you left prior to. Yeah. So we were, you know, we were in a good place. And then there's no way in the New York Metro or Philly Metro area that we were able to satisfy that 72 hour PCR mm. results prong of the new rules. So that was it. We, like 
I don't think that they applied to us. I think we could have gotten through, but it just wasn't worth the risk. So we had to scramble and push everything up by a week. Wow. Yeah. What a journey I bet that was or experience. Yeah. No, it, it, it was, um, it was super stressful. I will say we are amazingly lucky mm. in that we have a friend who's a, a flight attendant and she flew with us and really facilitated it. Um, and we're enormously forever grateful. But um, I think for most people, it's an insurmountable obstacle. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I will say when we when we got to Narita, it was a very long process. It was it was easily handled. The people who sort of are the handlers who speak English at Narita on our day anyway were fantastic. Okay. Super friendly, very kind. You know, um, helped us out. English was amazing, and I understand that I should be speaking Japanese, so I'm even more grateful <laughs> yeah. that they had they had more than one like really really good um, bilingual speaker there. Um, but I will say the social distancing and you know sort of mask wearing um, wasn't so great at New Year, oh. including for the staff. Oh, wow. Yeah, including the staff. The staff were pretty much shoulder to shoulder. They were wearing masks for most of the time, but there was no, you know, two meter distance mm. between most of the staff working behind those various counters and tables. And the numbered seats you have to sit in to wait at various points, maybe a meter apart. Yeah. So. That was that felt like the most risky part for me. The flight was pretty empty, um, so really that whole five hours in the airport, that felt like the riskiest exposure I had during the trip. Now your your family they were in Japan the whole time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was lucky in that when my family is here. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it was quite nerve wracking. It was very, very nerve wracking just trying to get checked in and just trying to get on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, you would say you had a fairly positive experience, I guess. Right? Um, not so much of the check in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not so much of the check in, but yeah. <laughs> it, it took a lot of fighting. But w once I was on board, I mean, they, they were doing the social distancing. Okay. Um, there weren't so many people on the plane. Um, Frankfurt, everybody was wearing masks in the airport, or most people were. Um, and then once I was on the plane in Frankfurt, I mean, the, the staff from ANA were incredible. They were very, very helpful. They all the questions I had about the, the questionnaires that you have to fill in on the plane before you land. And that. Um, they helped me with any questions I had because some of it was, some of the questions were a bit, what do they want to, what do they want to actually ask you? And do I really have to fill this in or anything like that? Yeah. Um, but I can't praise ANA, ANA enough. They were really great. Really oh, good. Cool. And, and how about like landing in Narita? That, um, I, I was flying into Haneda actually. Oh, Haneda, Tokyo. So, um, yeah, apart from having, I was at the back of the plane, so I was the last one to get off basically. <laughs> um, but I was in no rush. I had a, a car waiting to pick me up. And once you got off the air, aircraft, there was people waiting, guiding you to the next step. Um, basically, we went to one of the, the gates that wasn't being used. 
and they did a short explanation of the following steps, um, which was the PCR test. Um, you go in for the PCR test, the PCR test, they check the documents mm-hmm. that you've filled in already to make sure everything's okay. They check the temperature. They've got a camera going all the time to check your temperature. And then basically give you a, a test tube to put your saliva in. And if you can produce the one milliliter of saliva, then you can do it by saliva. Um, in my case, I couldn't get one milliliter of saliva. It was <laughs> very difficult to produce that amount of saliva. Um, so I, I gave up and said, can you do it by the swab up the nose? And they said, yeah, sure. So they had uh, two booths uh, with, nurses all uh, fully suited up, ready to do the tests. And I mean, a lot of people say it's painful, but it was more ticklish than painful. I was <laughs> expecting it to be painful, but it wasn't. It was ticklish. <laughs> I did I did read it was ticklish. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess for the test, it may have taken half an hour just to get through all the document check and to do the test itself. And then we go on to another document check. Uh, where they go through everything and they give you the information about signing up for the line application that they have now. So okay. if anything happens, like if somebody tested positive on the plane and they want needed to contact you, they contact you by line. Okay. So that's their so, like, contact tracing form, form of contact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, I'm lucky I, I speak Japanese, so I'm able to do all of this in Japanese as I'm coming through without any problems. Okay. Um, but all the staff were extremely helpful, extremely caring. Um, I, I couldn't praise them more. They were, they were great. And then basically we got put in the waiting area in Hanada. I sent out a couple of emails and a couple of line messages to my family and that just to let them know the situation and to the company that's picking me up in the car to let them know what's going on. Mm. And before I knew it, I got my number called out and, any foreigners, they were calling out the numbers both in English and in Japanese, so it was very easy. Um, I would say I wasn't waiting much more than one hour Okay. for, for the test result. It was pretty quick in my case, very smooth. Um, as the number of people coming in increases, it'll become longer, I guess. But for me, I came in on August the 5th, and it was very, very smooth. Great. Great, great to hear. Then um, you get your result. I'm obviously uh, negative, so I don't have the, the rules at that time anyway. <laughs> okay. And now you're you're quarantining? <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh. Um, the, the only thing I would say about the airport is even, once you get your test result, then you should go off to immigration, but they do another document check. Uh-huh. So it's three times they're t- checking all your documents, all your questionnaires and stuff and who's picking up at the airport and that type of thing. So uh, for me, it just feels like they're doing too much checking of the documents. Once is more than enough, I think. <laughs> okay, yeah. But um, then three times you have everything checked, so it's quite a lot. Um, then immigration, you go through to the usual booth. Um, I did my fingerprints and my photograph and thought that was it, but no, they take you off into a side office. Okay. Oh, we have to do one more check before you go in. No, I don't know what they're checking. They don't tell you. They just put you in this room <laughs> um, and ask you to wait. And they're very polite. They were very courteous about it, so I wasn't particularly worried. But it was a bit strange that 
they still had some final checks to do, as I said, but my documents are all in order. I know I'm allowed back into the country. What else have they got to check? Yeah. It was a bit frustrating. Mm. But um, as anybody who lives in Japan, the, the worst thing to do is to get angry with oh, just keep a smile on your face and yes. just wait. <laughs> that, is, that is great advice. And, of course, be courteous. Yes. Yes, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, then immigration I cleared without any problems, no questions or anything. Um, obviously, because it takes a bit of time to get out, all your luggage is waiting for you. Mm. Um, what ANA had done, they put all the luggage on the trolleys and they'd labeled up the trolley with your name. And they had one person there to help people with their luggage as and when necessary. So that was great. And ANA had written a short thank you message as well that was attached to the luggage just to say thanks for flying with ANA and that. So that was quite a nice touch. Yeah, that was a <laughs> nice, a multinational touch to it. Yes, 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 yes. Very nice. Um, after that, basically clearing customs. Okay, the guy's fully suited up for his own protection, obviously, and they only had uh, one channel open. So all the green and red was going through the same route. Um, I, I thought I was a little bit over my allowance on beer because I've been in Europe, so I brought some beer back with me. <laughs> okay. Um, so I explained to him, and I'd written it on my uh, customs forms as well. And he said, how, how many bottles have you got? And I said, well, about this amount. And he said, oh, no, you're, you're okay, you're okay, you can go. So he was really good about it. Uh, so I got through that, no problem at all. And then basically my company had arranged a car for me anyway. So nice. um, as soon as I got through, just called up the car. Um, I was back home. I live in Saitama, Ken, mm. um, just outside of Tokyo. So you've got to come from Hanover to Saitama, but it was just, just about an hour, okay. which is a very smooth journey, actually. Um, so all in all, from getting off the plane at like just after 8 o'clock in the morning, I was back home by about 12 o'clock midday, just in time for lunch. So for me, I'll be honest, it was a very smooth, um, a very easy process coming through. Uh, Panada and everything. Great, great. My last question was, what kind of beer did you bring mm -hmm. back? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was in Belgium, and I like Belgian, Belgian beer, so I have several varieties of Belgian beer with me. Nice, 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 man. Whether you're living in the heart of Tokyo or anywhere in the world, you can learn how to code with Code Chrysalis. If you're a beginner, Foundations and Foundations Lite are great intro courses to get you started. And if you want to take your skills to a more advanced level, maybe you're ready for the immersive 12-week coding bootcamp. See the link in the description of this episode to schedule a free consultation. And good luck on your coding journey with Code Chrysalis. Alyssa, Ovales, who is originally from Venezuela, recently graduated from Ritsubeikan University in Kyoto, Japan. However, the completion of her undergrad degree was bittersweet because her graduation ceremony, uh, which was scheduled for March 21st, never happened. Her special day had been ruined by COVID-19. Her family never made it to Japan because the country of Venezuela had shut down, as well as the country of Argentina, where her sister lives. 
She was set to leave Japan for Venezuela, uh, but that never happened. According to Elisa, the Turkish and Spanish airlines mismanaged her flight arrangements. And now her student visa had expired in July. And it's September now, and Elisa is still here. Basically, Spain said it was okay for me to travel. Spain, as my relatives in Spain, went to the um, police there, uh, the commissary, to get me a letter of invitation and to ask about whether I was able to go or not. Because I bought this ticket back in July the 16th. And at the time, um, we were not aware of this list or anything. All we knew was the, the news about from the 1st of July, anyone can come and we don't, we're not going to put you, uh, in 14 days of quarantine. Uh, so they said, no, yeah, it's okay. It's fine. Tell your, uh, niece to come. There's not going to be any problem. We're just going to give you this letter of invitation just in case, but she should have no problem with this. So it's fine. And, um, also, uh, when I asked at the embassy here for, um, exceptional cases type of visa, just in case, because I, I'm really like, I like to organize and plan everything and be sure, especially during this time of uncertainty that I'm going to be able to, to go without a problem. They said, no, like, uh, you have a Venezuelan passport, so you cannot apply for this visa because technically you don't need one. So it's impossible for us to proceed with one. But I mean, if you'll be all the procedures, like we're not up to the studies when you arrive to Spain and if they said it was okay, it's okay. Perfect. Then Turkish Airlines, um, when I bought the ticket, um, it, it, they had the sign of, uh, you should check whether you can go in, you know, at the time you buy this ticket. At the time I bought the ticket, it was okay for me to go in. And Two days before my flight on July the 19th, um, when I called to confirm just in case, um, they said, yeah, it's, it's fine. Like, there's not going to be a problem. Like, of course, you, you can um, board this plane. Sorry that we changed the dates two times in the port of origin, but it's fine. Like, <laughs> just, mm. just come. And then when I arrived, I'm denied to board the plane because the airline received an email from the authorities of Spain on July the 20th. So the day before, with a list, with a list of countries that are allowed in, and they refused to check my documents, which included that letter of invitation, um, the all of my papers that kind of justified that I was enrolled in in a university in Italy, which means after my period of ninety days, which is what I am allowed as a Venezuelan to be in Spain, expires, I'm gonna go to Italy. And even though I could apply for an extension because it's, it's legal, that's how they, they, they deal with that. But they refused to check this and they just said, no, because we received this list, you know, yesterday. So you can, you can board. And I was confused because I thought, well, why you didn't call me then? <laughs> you know, mm. like, uh, you only have one flight. It's not like you're like the world is normal right now and you have tons of things to do. And obviously you're unaware of this, but it's like you have one flight after like three months departing from Tokyo and you know I, at least I thought you would make sure everything is in order as well because most of the people who is moving now is because they need to so I was really surprised besides of the shock for the fact that they didn't even bother to call me <laughs> wow 
Now, yeah, with your, with your, um, so your, from what I remember, your family members were supposed to come here, right? For yeah, vacation. back in March because it was my graduation and my graduation as well as me going back. So they were gonna come and we're gonna do like a family trip, but they would also help me with all my things because my four year and a half were packed <laughs> and we had to bring some of that back, uh, but they couldn't. So I was left with no, no like contract with any, any housing with tons of, you know, boxes and bags and, and no family. So when did you find out that they couldn't come? About when was that? Wow. Mm, for my family. Okay. So they were supposed, the graduation date was the 21st of March. And I think they were supposed to come on the 19th of March. My family by the 12th of March, I think, or 11th, they were already like, no, Venezuela is closed, shut down. But for my sister, uh, she she's in Argentina. It was the day before of her flight that as well, like, she, not even on the same day, she woke up on the news that Argentina was shutting down too. So for for my sister, it was like, the day before that. <laughs> so Argentina and Venezuela shut down flights. Yeah, and the country itself. Okay. And it's, so yeah. that, that left you in a limbo and... Okay, mm -hmm. wow. And then your flights <laughs> were canceled. Yeah, and it's just... I feel that... Um, and that's why... The beginning, I told you that I, I really believe that it was a mishand they mishandled the situation, the government of Spain and the Tur and Turkish Airlines, because this could have been totally avoid being avoid mm. would have been avoided yeah. <laughs> yeah. if if you know they because this pandemic started back in well in Japan it was kind of in March I guess but. I don't, I'm not really sure when um, Europe had the worst crisis. But either way, you know, we're already in July. Like, you have to take this time to kind of make sure, maybe think about um, what type of measurements besides cleaning the filters on your airplane we can take in order to move people. Because yes. I'm not the only one. There's a bunch of people who is um, away from their homes and in difficult situations, even way more difficult situations than I am. Yeah. So of course it's a service, of course it's a it's a company, but during this pandemic, it's like they also have kind of this responsibility, you know, yes. where it's not even though the government is saying, yeah, no, for leisure and tourism and people who just want to travel, the reality is I don't think this is the people who's gonna go and buy a ticket from your company first. I feel like it's people who is desperate or people who really need to move who will do so. And therefore you should be prepared because at the end it's beneficial for you and your business. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's like we can all win in the situation, but the way they said it was okay. Um, or the way the, I guess, I don't know, we're requesting Spain or, or the diplomatic, you know, saying is something, but they, they don't give all the information to the functionaries. Mm -hmm. And then people telling me, yeah, it's okay, yeah, it's okay, yeah, it's okay. But then the day comes and both um, the institution, a governmental institution and uh, a private company tells me, no, actually you can't, even though we told you you could. Exactly. It was 
a shock. It was a shock <laughs> because it really I couldn't understand. <laughs> so, um, so your your visa ended up expiring, right? And what did you do after that? And and what and yes. what's, your, what's your current so, status? When um, I came for a long term with a long term visa for studying because I I obtained my college degree here, right? So it's four years. Mm-hmm. And um, my visa, the Zaidu card, like the residence card, yeah. expires in June or expiring in June. And then what I did, I went to immigration and told them, look, I can't go back. My country can I receive an extension? And they say yes, but then they didn't give me a residence card. They just gave me a stamp on my passport that said temporary visitor visa. And obviously, with that, I can't adubaito like I can do part time job. I can't open a bank account. I can't have a credit card and um, you know get a get a phone line wow. uh, like a normal person. Or yeah, especially since. Since I've been living here for four years and a half, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, we can help each other. It's not that I, yes, I was really, I came here as a tourist and, and, and I completely understand if you don't, you know, want to give me a job, but it's not like I had a certain life and I'm, I'm able to continue like that life with that life. If you just give me some guarantee with this, you know, yes. visa recognition, uh, but they didn't at the time. And, uh, yeah, when that happened, the day that I was told that I couldn't fly, that w- that was one of my fears um, because I already closed my bank account. Mm. Why did I do that? Because I'm so, you know, in that sense, Japan suits me that I'm really like respectful of the law and everything. So because they say that you cannot have a bank account if you don't leave in Japan. Mm. I, I, I was leaving and I, I was completely sure that I was going to go because I was insured by these two entities. So I closed it. Exactly. So you did and you did everything that you had to do to leave exactly. this country. And yeah, you, you but were... maybe in normal circumstances, that would have been fine. But I guess during a pandemic, is that's why it's so hard for everyone because you have to really think about only yourself. And, you know, maybe another person wouldn't have closed it. And then that would have been okay because they would have been denied, but at least they have some sort of um, security. Um, yeah. But I, I didn't. <laughs> so, but the good thing is, you know, I, I had enough saved in cash. Okay. But yeah, at the time I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the visa and the visa situation. So the very next day, um, I didn't sleep. I slept like three hours. And I just went to all of the embassies and contacted immigration before 1230 a.m. because of the, you know, Corona, everything closes early. So I went to the embassy of Spain. I went to the embassy of Venezuela. I went to the embassy of Italy and I called immigration. And then that's when they told me to apply for basically a residence card that they're giving to people who were students and then they gave the temporary visitor visa. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they, you know, kind of like can do Aruvaito again or do their lives normally because I think clearly Corona is not leaving soon. Yeah. So so you, you haven't received so I'm just that. waiting. Okay, you haven't received that yet. 
No, no, I called them. I called them today and they said it will take time. So please wait. So once you get that. So it technically expired. Okay. So once you get that residy, uh, resi- residency card again, mm-hmm. um, will you be able to do like work or do something? Yes, that is similar to the student visa. Okay. Um, because it gives you the, you can work in a week for 28 hours. Okay. So it cannot be full-time employment. And I think not all of the banks. So, for example, I'm not going to be able to have a credit card, but I can open a bank account with Gay People's Bank. Okay. Because the this visa will, will last for six months. And that's the minimum requirement that you need to open a bank account, at least in Gay People's Bank. Okay. So this visa is going to last for six months. Okay. And yeah. so, so what are what are your plans going forward? I mean, are you just basically waiting until you can travel to Spain or Italy? Yes, I'm living day by day um, <laughs> because clearly, you know, planning during this time doesn't work. Yeah. But what I have for sure, as a certainty, let's say, is um my master's degree in Italy. So the pre-courses start, starts in October and then university itself, like in presence class, starts in January. Uh, the situation is that to apply for a student visa in Italy, first, I can only do it 90 days before I depart to Italy. That's the limit. So I cannot apply way in advance. For example, I cannot apply right now in August because technically I'm starting in January. Yes. And the second point is that for that, since I'm applying from Japan, I need some sort of documentation, like a residence card or Ah, uh, like a permit. Yes. So I'm just waiting for that first step to be completed. Okay. Okay. And then I have to wait at least until September to okay. start applying for the Italian uh, student visa. But I mean, in that sense, I'm I'm very you know lucky and fortunate because at least I have a you know that next step or that opportunity to leave the country as a student. Yes. Um, but you know, one of the reasons why I or another reason why I also wrote the article is it was to give a voice to people who found themselves in a similar situation or even worse, um, you know, to be able to, to connect with a community community of people who cares and might be in the position of, of helping them. Um, also to undercover some of the toxic positive positivity these days and validate their feelings because I feel like it is healthy to accept that this is a tough moment even though my circumstances might look way different to someone who is in a really worst yeah. um, situation still. Um, because, you know, suffering is temporary and we all do in our own levels. And um, it's important, I think, to, you know, validate that and, and mention that, you know, it's, it is okay. You know, I don't, I don't have to be on the streets right now as a homeless for this case to be important. No. Yes. And it, because it's not about me, it's about something bigger. It's about people who are dealing with the same situation. It's about recommending airline services or even the governments maybe help them to reform 
the upcoming post-pandemic traveling loss and services. Yes. Because what I thought COVID-19 did, I mean, one of one of the things that it did <laughs> was to undercover how mobility is a privilege that is becoming less and less accessible. Yes. Yes. And depending on your nationality, depending on your country of... of yes. Of, Especially because of right now the contrast is... I feel like it's creating a bigger gap because I mentioned um, on the article that because I have an international relations background, of course, I've studied about international migration, you know, mm. to the extreme, like the cases of, of refugees. I mean, my con- my own country has a um, refugee crisis, like a, so, and, and also like undocumented uh, working uh, people in in. in several countries so this is not like a new topic but now what i'm what i'm saying or point, trying to point out is that it's becoming even more restrictive and the contrast is even more shocking because it's a matter of yes some people who just want to you know go on a trip and take pictures and be happy with that can do that but some people who actually need to move yeah because you know where this pandemic surprised us all. No, they can't. So that really surprised me because it was the first time uh, that I was, I faced something like this. Yes. And you're doing, you're doing as best as you can. I mean, you know, you seem to be in good spirits despite all that's transpired. Yeah. Yeah. It's because again, I feel really fortunate that, you know, I'm safe. A lot of people helped me, supported me. I I have lived in Japan, so it's not that I got trapped transferring from, let's say, Istanbul to Madrid. That would have been a different story. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's kind of like accepting that this is temporary, mm. uh, but not because of that. I'm not gonna report it. Yeah, but I'm um, yeah I'm doing doing fine. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah, you have somewhat of a support system here in Japan. Yeah. You know, it really called my attention that a lot of people, when they read their story, I mean, as always, when people read the stories, everyone has their own perspective. And for people who have had, you know, situations with where they struggle with authorities here in Japan, I guess the way they saw it or the way they thought about it was that somehow it was Japan's fault or the person who didn't let me in the um, airplane was a Japanese person. Yes. And it, it, it actually wasn't. Like in the, you know, the characters of my story, they're all real and they're all from different, you know, nationalities and not, definitely they were not Japanese. In my personal experience, it was more like, thank God that I'm in Japan, that things work. Like I know if I apply through mail with this immigration, um, I might not get the response that I want, but at least I'm getting a response. Although I completely understand because I, of course, I've also had those um, instances with the Japanese uh, bureaucracy, but yeah. in this case, in this specific story, no, yeah. it, it wasn't with them. So it was mainly Spain, right? Spain, the Turkish Airlines. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was definitely quite a story, and I'm, you know, thank you for sharing that. Um, no, thank you so much for calling me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you're in Tokyo right now? Just uh, Yes, I'm in Tokyo. I'm discovering this city, basically, because I've been here. 
as a tourist, but I've never lived here. And I'm really surprised at how much green it has. It, there's so many parks around there. There's so many trees. Yeah. And um, especially because I've been living in Kyoto, which is mostly green. famous for, you know, it's nature. <laughs> yeah, landscape. Yeah. But it's in a different way. It's totally different. Mm. And it's more, uh, let's say, mountains or perhaps, yes. yeah, there is trees and gardens in the temples. But in Tokyo, is I'm just walking and then there are trees, like big trees that give me gives me shadow. Or, I don't know, in the station, um, the parks are so spacious. We don't have that in Kyoto. <laughs> Yeah. To- Not in the city. I mean, prefecture is different, but in the city. Definitely. I, 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 live, <laughs> I, I live outside of Tokyo, but yeah, it's definitely a, 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 a contrast when, you know, yeah, like you said, streets are bigger. It's a little more space, yeah. um, on, at least on the main streets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So I think that's about it. If you don't have anything else. Okay. All right. Yeah. Ah, maybe just one more thing yeah. I wanted to comment. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Was that um sometimes we think we can't do anything or that we can't do more. Uh, for example, let's say you know the person who didn't let me in the plane, right? Maybe you know he could have been like, yeah, I can't do anything because it's you know I'm just following the rule. Um, but I what I've noticed. A lot is that it's just a matter of, you know, showing some empathy or even you just be the best at, at your job or at what you do, which I think is such a, I don't know, philosophy in Japan where a lot of people is really, they take their job as simple as it is, as something really important. It really, I learned from that, even though I wasn't the, the person that was in charge, but as a person who, you know, uh, suffered from the shock or uh, I definitely know that if I'm ever in the position of power of, of helping someone I'm not gonna wait until after to offer help but during my present day and my every single action try to you know always be nice to people and always try to do my best because there's always something we can do beyond yeah. what a paper like my, the rules the manual of the place I work says you're right. That's a great, great, yeah. great point. But yeah, that's, that's it, I think. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. I'm, I'm sometimes I'm <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you once again. And uh, yeah, I'll thank be in so touch much. with you. Okay. All right. I hope you stay safe and healthy. Thank you. Same to you. And hydrate because it's really hot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Later. Goodbye. If you're interested in an update on Alyssa's situation. Uh, you can check out her blog on Medium. Uh, there's a part one and part two uh, to this whole story uh, in blog form. Uh, I'll leave a link in the description of this episode. Thanks for tuning in to Tokyo Speaks. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform and see you next episode. Mm-hmm.